Today I want to talk to you about unity. Unity. Because we're not a family that is a family of God if we're not a unified family. And I've just really felt strongly impressed by the Holy Spirit to address this subject today because there is great division in the body of Christ all over the world. We're divided racially, sadly. Sunday morning is still the most segregated time of our week. It's getting better, but there's still much room for improvement. We're divided politically. Republicans, Democrats, Independents. We're divided religiously. We now have thousands upon thousands of denominations in our world, each one proclaiming that their way is the right way. And we even have within churches all over America much divisiveness. People who are divided over trivial things like should we have pews or chairs in the church? Trivial things like are we going to sing off of the screen or we're going to sing out of hymn books? Trivial things. Like is the carpet going to be mauve or is the carpet going to be green or is the carpet going to be orange? Hopefully here you like mauve because here at Summerton we are mar marvelous. But so much division. And so here's what I want to talk to you about today. I'm praying the same prayer that Jesus prayed. Lord, make us one. Make us one. Now, it's important that you understand that when we talk about unity, that first of all, you understand what unity is not. And unity this morning is not union. Many of you know you can be in union with someone but have no unity. That's why the Bible tells us that believers and unbelievers should not marry. Because marriage is supposed to be a picture of perfect unity. And you can't have perfect unity if one is a believer and one is an unbeliever. You can have union, but you cannot experience true unity. So when we talk about unity, we're not just talking about union. Neither are we talking about uniformity. We're not talking about a place where everybody looks the same and everybody talks the same and everybody dresses the same and everybody acts the same. Uniformity is a result of external pressure. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world. Or another paraphrase says it like this, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. So when we talk about unity, we're not talking about uniformity. How many of you know that there is beauty in diversity? Amen. Amen. And diversity, just in case you need to know this morning, diversity is not division. You can have diversity and have perfect unity. So when we talk about unity, we're not talking about union. We're not talking about uniformity. We're not even talking about unanimity where everybody agrees on the same thing. I mean, come on, we can't even agree about when Jesus is coming back. You know, is he coming back before the tribulation, during the tribulation, or after the tribulation? You know how I feel about that? Don't worry about it. Just be ready when he gets here. Just know without a fact or know without a doubt, he is coming. 
We don't know when. Nobody knows the day or the hour. But we just need to be ready when he comes. So it's not unanimity. It's not where we all agree. We can disagree in some areas and still have unity. And neither, when I talk about unity, am I talking about unison, where everybody sings the same part. You know, it was beautiful up here this morning, these singers leading us in worship because they were not all singing the same note. They were not all singing the same part. You had sopranos, altos, tenors, and basses, and they were all singing their part. And individually, it may not make sense, but when they come together, it makes beautiful music. It's what the Bible refers to as harmony. When everybody sings the song that God has given you to sing, but we're singing it together in one mind and in one accord. So unity. It's not union, it's not uniformity, it's not unanimity, and it's not unison. So what are we talking about when we talk about unity? Unity is that quality or state of not being multiple or not being divided. If you really want to narrow down the definition of unity to one word, it just simply means oneness. And that's the prayer that Jesus prayed for the church. In John chapter 17, beginning at verse 20, notice the prayer that Jesus prays. He said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. That is, this prayer is not just for these disciples who are presently with me. But he said, this is a prayer that I'm going to pray for every generation who becomes a follower of mine. He said, this is my desire for them. He said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. But for those who also who believe in me through their word, that is through the witness of the disciples. And here's what the prayer was. He said, I pray that they may all be one. Everybody say one. one. That they may all be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He said that they may be one because it is the Spirit of God that makes us one, just, Jesus said, as we, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are one. And then in verse 23, he said, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Now listen, we're good about going to God in prayer and taking our petitions to him and asking God to answer prayers for us. But here we have the opportunity to be the answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed. How many of you want to join me this morning in being the answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed for his church, that we would be one, that we would be unified as the body of Christ? If so, yes, just say amen. So that brings us now to the passage I ask you to turn to with me today, Psalm 133. In Psalm 133, even though it's just a few passages of Scripture, they are packed with so many things related to unity. And notice we're going to read through it first, and then I'm going to come back and just make a few comments about this passage of Scripture. But in Psalm 133, here's what the psalmist said. He said, Behold, 
how good and how pleasant it is for brethren, and included in that is the sistren, how pleasant it is for brethren and sisters to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. Everybody say mountain dew. Oh, glory to God. I told you it's in the Bible. That's why it's okay for me to drink it. Amen. Mountain dew. He said, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, I want you to notice very quickly this morning three things that the psalmist tells us in this passage about unity. First of all, he points out the beauty of unity. Because listen to what he says. He said, behold. In other words, he said, there's something that I want you to observe here. He said, there's something that I want you to see, something beautiful that I want you to take notice of. And he said, what is beautiful is this. He said, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Listen, here at Summerton Church of God, it's not our facility that makes us a beautiful church. And this is a wonderful facility. It's not our grounds, our campus that makes us a beautiful church. It's not our wonderful music program and youth program and children's ministry. It's not the wonderful things that are happening here necessarily that make us a beautiful church. Those things are all important. But according to the Word of God, we are a beautiful church when we are a unified church. And a beautiful church is an attractive church because that's what Jesus prayed. Let me show you that prayer again. He said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Now look at this. So that the world may believe that you sent me. And then he goes on to verse 23 and he said, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. How beautiful is unity? Unity is so beautiful that even the unbeliever takes notice when there is a group of people unified for the cause of Christ and they say there's something that group of people has that I do not have and it's attractive to them the unity that we have in the spirit is attractive it's beautiful but when we don't have that unity it's just the opposite we're ugly we're unattractive no one wants anything to do with us so God help us here at Summerton to be one just as Jesus the Father and the Holy Spirit are one so that unbelievers will be attracted not to us but that unbelievers will be attracted to Jesus Jesus because of the oneness and the unity of this house. Somebody just thank God for his word this morning. Amen. But he doesn't just talk about the beauty, the beauty of unity in this passage. He also talks about the basis of unity. He tells us what it is that makes us one. He tells us what those connecting points are that cause us to be one. And notice, here's the first thing he says. 
We are one because of our common birth. Our common birth. Here's how he said it in Psalm chapter 133, verse 1. He said, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Notice, he calls them brothers. Brothers have what? Brothers have the same father. They have the same family. They have a common father and they have a common birth. And it is our birth by the Holy Spirit that makes us one. Us being born again by the Spirit, it unifies us. We are all a part of the same family of God. Look at your neighbor and say, we all have the same daddy. And he is our heavenly father. Now look at him and say, can't you see the resemblance? I look just like my daddy. (laughs) But not only is it a common birth that unifies us, but he also talks about a common body. We are all a part of the same body. We may be different members, but we're all a part of the same body of Christ. Because notice what he said there in verse 2. He said, it is like precious oil, talking about the unity. He said, it is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. Aaron here, the high priest in the Old Testament, would be symbolic of Jesus, our high priest in the New Testament. And it's a picture of the anointing flowing from the head down onto the body. And that's exactly what happens when there's unity. Matter of fact, when you look at the anointing oil that was made, it was made of four or five different spices, cinnamon and myrrh and cassie and things of that nature. And they would mix it with the oil and all of those ingredients. And God was very specific about how much of this you use, how much of that you use, how much of this you put into the recipe. But here's the thing. They would take all of those ingredients and they would mix those ingredients and it would become one. Here's what I see in this passage of Scripture, and that is that God blesses a unified church. God anoints a unified church. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 about this common body. He said that the human body has many parts, and the many parts make up only one body. That's us. We have hands and fingers and arms and shoulders and legs and feet and toes, but but it's all connected to one body. And then he said, so it is with the body of Christ. Now, I want you to see this passage of Scripture. He said, some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are Auburn fans. Some of us are Alabama fans. Some of us are slaves. Some of us are free. But he said, we have all been baptized into Christ's body. That's good. We've all been baptized into Christ's body. Look at this. By one spirit, and we have all received the same spirit. It's the spirit of the Lord that unites us and makes us one body. He said, yes, the body has many different parts, but not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm 
only an ear and not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? Suppose, Paul said, that the whole body were an eye. Then how would you hear? Or if your whole body were just one big ear. Somebody said, I know somebody got ears that big. It might look like they got nothing but an ear. But he said, the body were just one big ear. He said, how could you then smell anything? But he said, God made our bodies with many parts, and he has put each part just where he wants it. What a strange thing a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. We are a part of the common body of Christ. And so he said, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, all of you together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. What is it? that binds us together? What is it that unifies us? It is that common birth. We all have the same Father. We all have the same Spirit residing on the inside of us, and we are all a part of the same body, the body of Jesus Christ. We may be many different members, but we're connected to one body. Which brings us to the third thing that he talks about in this passage of Scripture, the blessings of unity. And I love this because notice what he said. He said, It is like the precious oil, the precious oil upon the head. And then notice what he said, it's running down on the beard. Do you see how generous God is with the anointing when his people are one, when his people are unified? He said it just runs down on the beard of Aaron and it drips and it runs down on the edge of his garments. I'm saying to you this morning, Summerton, as long as we are unified, as long as we are one, there will never be a shortage of God's anointing. There will never be a shortage of the anointing of the Holy Spirit when we are one in spirit, when we are one in birth, when we are one in body. Never going to be a shortage of the anointing. And then he goes on and he says this. He said, it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion because he said, there the Lord commanded his blessing, life forevermore. Hallelujah. Because where there is unity, there's going to be the blessings of God. Where there is unity, there's going to be an outpouring of God's blessings. There's going to be fruitfulness. When you think about Hermon, the Mount, mountain Hermon was over 9,000 feet above sea level. And it would collect feet, uh, lot, lots of feet of snow in the wintertime. And then in the summertime, it would begin to melt. And when that water would melt, it would flow down Mount Hermon into the Jordan River all the way to Jerusalem to where Mount Zion was. And all along the way, it provided irrigation and it gave life so that they could be fruitful and grow their crops. And that's what God wants us to understand, that where there is a house that is unified, whether it's a church, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a family, whatever it is, when there is unity, when there is oneness, God is going to release his blessings. And those blessings are going to flow to the lowest place that it could flow, but also to the highest place that it could flow. And you are going to be fruitful. You're going to see areas in your life that have never been fruitful before that are going to be fruitful. That's why I believe that when we have unity in the house of God, that when we are one, when we're all working 
together to do what God has called us to do, that God will provide everything we need to do, everything that he has put in our heart to do. There is no shortage of supply in heaven. He said, I can supply all of your needs according to my riches in glory, but he only does it in a house where people are one and are unified for his cause. Amen? It's the blessings of unity. But as I end this message this morning, I want to get a little bit personal about us here at Summerton Church of God because I believe that there are three areas that the Holy Spirit has put on my heart today where we need to be intentional about being one, where we need to have a united effort. And one of those areas relates to our heart. Now listen to me. We have got to be one in our heart. Notice what the Bible says in Acts chapter 4. You want to know why the early church had such an impact on their community? And if we want to have this kind of impact on our community, we have to have the same heart. But notice what it says. It says that all of the believers were of one heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. Now look at this next statement. They shared everything they had. This is people who have love for one another. This is people who have a heart for one another. And then he goes on and he says, because of their unity of heart, he says this. He said, there was no poverty among them. Because people who owned land or houses sold them. In other words, land and houses that they were not using. They sold them and took those resources so that other people's needs could be met. Wow, what heart they had. And they were all one in their heart, in their attitude towards one another. And then it goes on and says in verse 35, And they brought the money to the apostles to give to others in need. And I began to think about this, that if we have that kind of heart, that if we're like Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you. Well, this is not a new commandment. Jesus has told us before to love, but here's what makes it new. He said it's new because now I'm telling you to love one another the way that I love you. And how did Jesus love us? He loved us with agape. He loved us unconditionally. He loved us sacrificially. He gave everything for us so that we could have life and live life to the fullness. And he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, everybody say, by this. He said, by this you will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I began to think about it. If we had that kind of love, if we had that kind of a united heart, and we, not just Summerton, but other churches in this nation, if we would come together and we would begin to pool our resources, by this time tomorrow, we could eliminate the hunger issue in this world. Did you know that? 
and that by this time on Tuesday, every person in this world could have access to clean drinking water, and that by Wednesday, we wouldn't have to worry about a health care plan because there would be money to take care of health care needs, and by Thursday, every orphan would have a family, and by Friday, every widow would have their needs provided for, and by Saturday, every person on the face of this earth could have heard the name of Jesus and seen Jesus through the efforts of a unified church so that next Sunday when we come to church, we could worship like we've never worshiped before because of the impact that a unified church has had upon our community and upon our world. Amen. When we work together, when we come together with one heart, but not only one heart, we've got to come together with one purpose. And you know what our purpose is here at Summit and Church of God. If you don't, let me remind you. Jesus said this in Matthew 28. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then in Matthew chapter 5, and this is our scripture. This is who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. You are the light of the world. Look at your neighbor and say, be light. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. God has not called us to be a lampshade, blocking the light, hindering the light. But God has called us to be a light on a lamp post. And he said it, it gives light to all who are in the house. So he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I've already told the men this, but I'm going to tell everybody, when you are truly the light that God has called you to be, when Christ Jesus is in you and the light of Jesus is shining through you, first of all, people are going to look at you. And God wants people to look at you because he said, I want them to see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But not only will they look at you, they will look to you for guidance, for wisdom, for direction. But not only will they look at you and to you, they're going to look for you. Just like Zacchaeus did when Jesus was coming to town. Man, he climbed up in a sycamore tree because he had heard about who this Jesus was was and he knew I need what he has and when you are truly the light of the world when you're truly a disciple of Jesus when we are truly unified people are going to look for us because they're going to say I don't know what it is you have that I don't have but I want that joy I want that peace I want that love I want what you have tell me where I can find what you have one purpose, 32,689 people born again, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our purpose. We're going to see our community transformed for the glory of God. If you believe that with me this morning, say amen. 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 One heart, one purpose. And then maybe the most important thing that I'll say to us today before we leave is this. We've got to understand we have one enemy. Did you hear me? We have one enemy. 
Our enemy is not the church down the street. <laughs> They're our ally. They're in this with us, and we're in this with them. Our enemy is not the denomination in the next town. That's not, that's not who our enemy is. No. Our enemy is not the Democrats, nor the Republicans. Our, our enemy is not, as I've already said, Alabama fans or Auburn fans. It's not our enemy. Well, the Bible clearly defines who our enemy is. And it was Peter who said it this way. He said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, your enemy, the devil. You want to know who your enemy is? Your enemy is Satan. Your enemy is the devil. You want to know who our enemy is? Our enemy is not one another. So we can stop sitting on this side of the church trying to avoid somebody on that side of the church. Or sitting on this side of the church trying to avoid somebody over here. Or sitting up there trying to avoid somebody down here. Listen, we are in this thing together. And we are not to fight among ourselves. Not that that's been an issue. I'm not, I'm not trying to make something that exists that doesn't. I'm just saying to you today, the enemy understands the power of unity. And the enemy understands he doesn't stand a chance against a unified church. And the reason why he doesn't stand a chance against a unified church is because he has no access into that place. He has no access into that house. He has no access into that body. He has no access into that home. Home. He has no access into that family when people are united as one. Yes. 